Monica Michelle with Explicitly Sick on the Invisible Not Broken Network. And this podcast is going to be all about just chatting about life with disability and chronic illness. I'll be interviewing authors and artists and business owners and people just with different disabilities. Hey everyone, just really quickly, I know Eva just did the intro, but I need to do another one real fast. If you have not watched The Magicians yet and you are planning on it or even think you might, please turn this off. We go right into the spoilers and I mean the big, the biggest spoiler of the entire Magicians in the first, I think, five or ten minutes. So if you want to watch The Magicians, please turn this off, go watch The Magicians, come back and listen. We go all the way through season five. So it just fair warning, um, great show. And we are here to discuss the magicians in how they handle disability, how they handle chronic illness, and how they handle mental health. So if you've watched the magicians, you know that we are going to be discussing rape, sexual assault, addiction. Um, the magicians is basically an entire <laughs> hemisphere of trigger warning. Um, so you've been warned, and I hope you enjoy the interview. This will be a long-standing thing of popular culture and chronic illness and disability. So in the comments section, or just go to our website and let us know what you want me to cover next with someone. If you don't, I swear it'll be Doctor Who, I promise. All right, so I stole Lisa again, because uh, while we have lots of important stuff to talk about, we ended up talking for, what was it, two hours? Hour and a half? for a while. Yeah, about the magicians. And um, I'm going to put this under the guise of chronic illness, but really this is, we're going to nerd out. And if you have not watched all the magicians, the spoilers are going to happen. I'm sorry. So just turn this one off. If you are watching the magicians, you have not gone through season five because we're totally going to be talking about everything. Um, also, I just found out we're talking about Westworld too. So if you haven't watched all three seasons of Westworld, <laughs> yeah. we're probably going to be touching on that. We we will pay no attention to spoilers. Um, so if you're worried about anything that you are watching that we might as total nerds be watching and you don't want spoilers, go ahead and just put this in the background because we are very good at going all over the place. Lisa and I have been talking uh, for I almost an hour. So, and we just hit record. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. The only thing I will say is, um, first I have to say I did not finish season five because when I watched Netflix, it went through season four and I didn't realize that season five was available. So I'm now making my way through and I can breeze a little bit about it, but I can't talk about the ending yet because I haven't seen it. Or you okay, can tell so I can't talk about season five. I can only talk. You can talk about five. a little okay. bit about it. That's it. No, anyway. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pretend like Magicians is just at the end where Quentin dies, everyone. So if you're just getting ready for how many like spoilers. Oh my God, spoilers. the major spoiler alert now, it doesn't matter because most people are going to join after that. So now it doesn't really matter. Okay, exactly. But I will say for people who don't know what the Magicians is, why don't we just do like the quickest um, but we just ruined the whole thing right here. <laughs> we'll just yeah. give you an intro. No, I um, think yeah, I'll, I'll put like a little warning on the front of if you are thinking about watching The Magicians, please don't listen to this podcast until you've actually until watched. Until you've actually four. watched The Magicians. Yeah. But like the way I see it, it's sort of Harry Potter and Chronicles of Narnia meets like harsh reality of life. And the harsh reality of life is the feeling of that anything from depression and addiction and like what I call more real life issues because one thing that really stood out to me is this isn't about as much heroes and villains and 
Saving Magic and a place called Fillory, which is this like Narnia-like land, as much as it is a story of people and characters that you really get to love that collectively and individually are dealing with their shit, you know? That's what I feel like. It's like, it's so much more, you're rooting for characters, just like any great story. But to me, that was way more apparent through the seasons is that all of the character development and the issues, not just the fact that we're watching a really cool fantasy magic thing that, you know, I happen to really enjoy. This show is so great because like, it, there are no heroes and villains. Um, and like, there, everything that you think is evil, it's there, it's not about evil and good. And they, they dispel that really fast, but like, I'm super into like how things are cast. That's really important to me when I'm watching something. And that when they have a disabled character, it is a person of that disability who plays that character. That means everything to me. That's, and it's not that their disability is the storyline ever. You know, that's not, that's not the thing. The only thing that ever becomes any sort of storyline is addiction. Yeah. Um, and that's, uh, God, I just, I can't get over like how much I love the show. Like as I try to talk about, it, I'm geeking out in my head of like the right words to say about how much I love the show. <laughs> but, no, I, um, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I want to touch first on this disability thing. So to me, what was the most beautiful and one of the highlights still of all the seasons, and I had to look it up, was a episode called Six Short Stories About Magic. And the reason I looked it up is because this really known and renowned deaf actor, and her mm -hmm. name is Marley Matlin, is playing somebody who happens to be deaf. And they, it's not that they focus on the disability, but they definitely involve and make it about what it feels like to be deaf. And as an example, in this episode about six short stories about magic, we, the audience, get to be in her shoes. They actually create a scenario where it's silent and you are experiencing the senses that you might experience, perhaps, you know, for somebody who's deaf. They actually took strides to create an environment like how they created the episode and what they did with the microphone techniques to make it feel like it's something is resonating or reverberating uh, rather than just you know having it all be silent so that you really get a sense of what this what this is like to be in her shoes and i thought that was done with a lot of respect and you know appreciation for somebody like this who is um, happens to be an actress in the story that was her story arc was so beautiful but like another one that really hit me hard was um julia's arc of the sexual assault and like watching her like it's always it's always so complicated the way that a lot of, of other shows deal with sexual assault where it's like this person is now horribly damaged forever forever this person is damaged she, like really hit home how horrible rape is and it's like we got it rape is horrible all of us who have been raped we get it it's horrible but the idea that we get a life afterwards is something that usually gets minimalized in the like rush to explain how horrible it is it's like this is absolutely awful 
but how they handled her story arc of going through sexual assault and going through all the ramifications of sexual assault that was never minimized which yeah. I appreciated but they also didn't minimize that she gets a life and a sexual life afterwards and that yeah. was really important to watch that recovery process and I think we don't get a script for that yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I found that to be something that was kind of an empowering thing. You know, like you say, yes. you don't see that very typified, I guess. I and mean, the, the whole scene with, with the, I, I, I'm running back for it. Should, should I like cut out the part where I said who died and like keep this as fairly spoiler free as possible? I'll say that there's a scene with, there's a really good scene. I mean, seriously, if you need like a get me my fan scene, like this is hot as hell. Um, there's a great scene with her after all that happens, like with the, the anointing oil. It was like, wow, <laughs> give me a minute here. <laughs> with, with Penny 23. Oh, okay, so we're going to go with spoilers. Excellent. All right, I won't edit. <laughs> yeah, it's not, you've already kind of gone with spoilers. It, it doesn't matter. Um, Excellent. But, you know, I guess what was interesting to me is like, okay, so let's play with this idea of magic. This idea of all of these characters are kind of, having their own addictions and issues in some fashion. Some people are blatant like Elliot with um, specifically with substance abuse or even self-loathing, uh, you know, or you get Katie who is a heroin addict and you kind of learn, you know, you get Quentin who is our protagonist supposed to be kind of the, the hero, etc. But he has struggled with all forms of depression suicide thoughts uh mental hospitals all these things and what i loved is that magic is kind of this it's both it's like hey magic is going to cure everything but magic is also a drug in some fashions they want this and it's an addiction to them that you know like no matter what i always felt like everything if we can just re restore magic you know everything will be okay and what what it seems like we learn is even with magic, all of this stuff keeps happening to all these characters. So it's like magic is not the answer. Magic is not the cure. It, like I just want to go back to Quentin real, for a second because like his character was so incredible for people who deal with depression because there's this idea like depression looks a certain way. Depression acts a certain way. And you have to be so extreme to get help that everyone around you would notice because you're not but he's a high functioning depressive and he's able to go through graduate school and be a depressive and like he's there's this last scene where he's um, meeting with penny at the very end of his lifetime after he sacrificed everything and he asked this question that hit me like in the solar plexus with every ounce of its being like of did I sacrifice myself for my friends? Did I do the one really good thing I was meant to do? Or did I finally find a way to kill myself? Exactly. And that hit so, like, I was openly, like, ugly crying. I ugly cried through that entire episode. There was no point where I was not, like, snot and, like, hiccups and red face. But that was so intense because, you know, I'm, um, I, I'm, I have depression and I'm considered a very high functioning depressive. And uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where people just think, oh, you know, you're fine because you're parenting, you're doing things, you're, you know, you've got this. And it's like, not always do I have this, but there's this theme in this depression is in almost every character. There's not a character that yeah. depression doesn't hit, but there's certain characters that hit a little harder because they don't get the help because they don't hit this level where other people notice it. 
and like you know penny where he's like you're just gonna throw your life at this again like there's not a problem you will not throw your life at and i was like oh that's that's really hard and then you have katie who is like um she doesn't get better until she prioritizes herself until she decides she's not a sidekick in someone else's story and that maybe other people really need her like there's like you probably won't spoil it this season for you because you've not watched it i'll spoil it for everyone else um but like there's this point through this whole time where people need her they really we are saving the world apocalypse happening now we need yes. you right and she's like you actually don't i've got something else i think is really important yeah it's gonna wow. be really important if this apocalypse doesn't happen this has to happen and you've got a lot of people to handle this. So I'm not going to be another sidekick in here. I'm going on my own thing to solve my own problem. Yeah. And Julie and, did that too. Wow. If yeah. You remember. Like these characters are, one thing that is really stands out to me is they're not the go along, you know, to accommodate their friends. Like they're a lot of times at, at complete odds with their friends. And I just, I watched the episode with Alice and Elliot. I just finished that. Oh my God. So the reason we're sitting here like, oh my Godding about it is it's not that they're arch enemies at any time. I don't, you know, but they're not close by any stretch of the imagination. In any well, he slept season. with her boyfriend. So, well, and she, and she, in essence, was um, in, in the circle, but like never, they were not close. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, they didn't have a bond. And so to have them, be able to finally cathart be cathartic together was this huge moment and and that it's happens gorgeous. a lot where people are thrown together like remember <laughs> how katie and zelda like totally unexpected oh pairings where they stick somebody in an episode where, with characters that you don't necessarily see together um, or even Julie and Penny, for that matter, you know, getting them together was this really interesting story, because like you say, not only does she have love and life after sexual assault, but it's also in a different timeline that somebody loved her. And the fact that she could find love with somebody now is kind of really, you know, an interesting thing, too. But I want to say one thing before we move on to something, and that is that all of these characters somehow seem to explore their issues, like um, confront their worst fears. So every, like their worst selves. And one of my favorites that stood out was Margot. So Margot is this really over the top kind of pop, you know, you'd think she was popular. She's beautiful. She, you know, she's seemingly shallow, however, you cast her as queen of, you know, this magical land fillery and you cast Elliot, of course, as king, because these are the ones that like had no responsibility. And now they're like stuck with tons of responsibility to run a kingdom. And I loved that anyway. But anyway, going back to Marco, one of my favorites was when she's in a desert and she is at complete wit's end and like her lowest low where not only figuratively, but literally things are happening in the scene where it forces her to quit and just scream out in emotion. And to me, that was so amazing because this is somebody who is, she's angry a lot, um, but she, and she speaks her mind all the time, but she does not lose it like this. And to see her completely like 
surrender to that emotion, regardless of, you know, in, in, the, in the scene, it was going to be like something bad is going to happen if she does this really, really bad. And she doesn't care. It was like these, this moment of complete surrender. Um, and I love that there's all these moments made, you know, in particular about that. Um, that's my favorite episode of the entire show. I, I've, I've had my daughter sit and watch it because it was such an important um, show for explaining how women keep other women down, like mm -hmm. how we over-police each other in making sure that we don't show too much emotion and we keep each other in check all the time. And one of the things in there that hit me really hard, um, so this is like where Margot has lost everything, including her best friend. And one of the things I love about the magicians, by the way, is that romantic love is not that important. The most important thing is friendship. That's that the love between friends is always- Loyalty, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Loyalty and like the, the friendship between, friendship. like the love and friendship is way more important than romantic love. Like romantic love comes and goes between these characters, as you would expect in that age group, you know, like you get a whole bunch of very attractive people, very close quarters. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Um, and that comes and goes with them. But the friendship is what always stays. And that always is what matters. It's not who's bopping who. It's like, it's, it's really who's, you know, who's your person. And um, Margo's person is Elliot always. Like, and Elliot's person is Margot always, no matter who else or what else, they're each other's people. And when she loses that center and just completely goes off the deep end into that episode, but when she was, when she was talking to Elliot and she's singing that song, her father used to sing her. And like, the thing that hit me so hard about that was um, the relationship between, at least like from my experiences, the relationships between daughters and fathers, when a daughter is prepubescent can like it's very close and it's very much you can be whatever you want to be you can be everything and then when you internalize that and you do become what you want to be and you do become everything and then there's that oh I can't control you anymore and then there's a distance and that's what she's experiencing and that's what she's coming to terms with in this this you know thing is this idea of like you'll love me only so far as you can control me wow and um, that episode was so brutal to watch, but it was, it was uh, I'm it was so mad that people don't watch the show. Yeah. Like I said, my people just like write the show off. It's like, it's just sci-fi, it's just fantasy. It's like, oh no. no, this is a deep dive into human psyche. Like this is some of those emotionally intense, right. and beautiful. I also, I also thought in that episode, it was this um, gathering of her, like all the people that she had connections with her friends yep. it appearances musically of course because there are so many <laughs> it's gonna be a sing-along <laughs> it, it was it was brilliant and really you know sometimes it's really cheesy but you go along with it but anyway but the idea of all this collective and and everybody singing the song with her and then she had finally she's singing it herself mm -hmm. and to me those that moment was really um, compelling and impactful because it was like, even if Elliot is gone or, and my friends are gone, this is my journey now. And I also, yeah. you know, that was a big, that, that happens a lot. It's not just a Margo journey, you know? No, um, it's, well, grief is a, a theme in this because you're, they're always, they're losing things either about themselves or about the people they love the most. And grief is treated like a chronic illness in the show it, it's it's something that impacts every aspect of their lives 
And it's also one of my arguments about season five that I'm not enjoying as much because I felt like they handled grief much better in other seasons. I do know that season five was their last season and it was very surprisingly their last season. So I know they didn't have a whole lot of time to, to shift around, but I do season five while still brilliant is not my favorite. Um, And I feel like they handled grief much better in other, other seasons. But it really the um Elliot's takeover and upset with the by the monster season because one of my favorite seasons let, let's we could talk about it in a second but my favorite one honestly was like the keys I kind of really enjoyed the whole seven keys elements I'm I'm a huge an analyst and I love private like the whole idea of investigative idea like I like investigative shows and things and so I loved this idea of following clues I loved all of that then you get to this like oh now Elliot is you know possessed by a monster and he's out killing everything and I I just don't it's not that I didn't believe Hale Appleman I liked there was a point where it was like oh yeah I want Elliot back and I kept saying to myself like wow I'm saying that and here he is right in front of me that's pretty cool but at the same time, I'm like, okay, you know, I just don't know that that, if there was a purpose for him to have been possessed. So what is your thinking? Like, what do you think about that aspect? It didn't bother me. I actually really liked it because, I mean, if I wanted to get like super like grad school analytical about it, I would say that it, it really does show this, like the duality that you can have, like if, if I was going to talk about like a lot of the mental health issues that that um I've seen or that I've experienced myself like you can feel like there's something else that that takes over you that you don't have a lot of control over and you know when we're talking about addiction depression and post-traumatic stress disorder it almost felt like it was a metaphor of everything that they were going through now of course it's not a metaphor of course there's a real monster who's taken over Elliot but there was it's, it's a nice the, parallel for what can happen, like you're saying, when you feel like. Yeah, and also like how everyone else has to be around him. It's like, you can't treat him like Elliot. He's not Elliot. Like, yeah, he's in the body of Elliot. Yeah, Elliot might still be in there alive, you know, which they eventually yeah. figure out yeah. almost at the last minute. But, you know, like you're still looking at someone, like it's almost like when you're dealing with a drug addict. Like this is someone I love more than anything in this world. And I want you to be better more than anything I've ever wanted in my life, but you're dangerous for me right now you can hurt me right now. Yeah. And I'm going to have to treat you like that, but I'm going to be breaking every second because I'm still looking at the person I love. And like, I've dealt with that. I've dealt with friends who have had addiction and like having to distance, having to be like, you're not safe for me. Like, I need you to be away, even though I can see you and I can see you right here. It's almost like you're gone, but you're not like, it's, I, I don't know if I'm like ever reaching on this, but I really felt that when I was watching, you know, for sharing that view, because I, I didn't go there and I'm happy to hear that perspective because it gives me a new way to think about what I watched instead of just thinking of it as, you know, this, this is like, he, he's on a killing spree and they find lots of, you know, in the mythology side, they find lots of ways that they can then, the, the story arc for him is that actually he wants to create something for to re- resurrect his sister. So all along you think something's happening and then it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is the plot was so far-fetched and didn't appeal to me as much as what you just said in the inner struggle. 
And that's what I have to kind of get, go back with was like, oh, this inner struggle of having something take over you and having to still be in the world and function is interesting. I like that. Okay, let's yeah. talk Alice. Oh my God. Alice, Alice, oh. Alice. Not wow. my who's sitting under here like wondering why I'm calling her name. <laughs> She's like, what? What? I'm a puppy. I'm yeah. here for you. Now we're like, talking about here? Alice from the Magician. Oh my God. So what a nut job. No, I'm kidding. She's great. She she is kind of like an amazing character on so many different levels from her when in her Niffin stage when she's like out otherworldly and can do anything and and be everywhere and be all seeing and knowing and how interesting it is too because it's like okay for her magic is everybody's is the answer to everything so it's like okay let's give her love and see what that does for her because I don't think I mean the only love she's seen is like serious romantic love like her parents and her upbringing have been with like all kinds of partners and that was really interesting too because I thought well maybe there's like trust issues for her in terms of a commitment or like a one-person relationship because she's seen all of these different relationships modeled you know from her parents and then I look at it and I'm like okay well magic is supposed to solve everything for her so what happens when she has magic she destroys the one thing that she loves you know so it's interesting and she destroys herself in the process. Like the thing that I, I really liked about the Nippon arc was just, you know, being in a body that doesn't work myself. And when she doesn't have a body, what she's capable of because, and then how frustrated she is being back in a body that gets hungry or gets cold or like how, yeah. And then, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's not really love, romantic love that brings her back. It's more of like friendship and she's dealing with being mad about being saved. Like people express things that are uncomfortable. Nothing's wrapped up in a nice bow. Like people right. actually are real people in the show where it's like, yes. I didn't necessarily want to be saved. So fuck you for doing that. And like, it's like, but you should be grateful. It's like, yeah, I'm not. So fuck you. And like, there's so much there that you're like, this isn't how that was supposed to go down, but I see how it actually went down. And I love how they handled that. Like some people need monogamy. Like Alice seems to actually need monogamy. Other people, Polly is awesome for them. Like that works for them. And that's great too. It's just, it's a real acknowledgement of, you know, when it comes to interpersonal human relationships, I mean, I'm a monogamist. I, I don't have the bandwidth for more people. I also look at poly couples that I know and I'm like, that's awesome. I'm so glad this works for you. You guys are really happy. Cheers, mazel tov, blessed be. I'm overjoyed. Like, it really is this thing that you don't have to make a judgment about other people's lifestyles. Like, it's different for different people. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Alice was such an enigma in so many ways because it felt like, it with all, with all these characters, it wasn't about happiness. It wasn't like, I kind of, maybe initially, like I say about maybe if I have magic or if we bring magic back, it will, it will make us happy if we do, you know, and it almost seemed to be like, no, that's not the question or the theory, you know, the premise. It's more like, how can we continue to nurture these friendships? That was more important than magic, any of it, realizing it's kind of like that, journey versus destination, like the thing is, we always think something's going to make us happy. If I lose weight, I'll be happy. If I have money, I'll be happy. If I get this person I want, I'll be happy. 
And then there's the reality of that happens. And then it's like, you were kind of taught with fairy tales, the happy ending, you know, that it's all over now. It's like, no, that's the start of a new journey. Like that's the, the beginning of something else. And they're not, they don't gear themselves up for what happens after. They only gear themselves up for getting the thing. It was kind of brilliant. I saw something that summarized the five seasons and it was like, number one, magic. Number two, magic bugs. Number three, no magic. Number four, regulated magic. And number five, too much magic. <laughs> and it was so brilliant because it was like, yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> I get it. That's, that's how that all goes down. Yes. Yes, it is. But that's, in, that's about it. Words, I was like, wow. But obviously, you know, what the other thing we didn't talk about yet, which is I like, is that, okay, I create fantasy musicals that combine and meld mythology, magic, and music. So I love the musicality aspects of this show. It is really not tweaky. That's the wrong word, but, you know, like. Oh, that works quirky and sometimes like really like you, you know you're like really a musical number right here but I mean the Taylor Swift song in the mental hospital was everything it would oh for me my favorite was the um David Bowie under pressure that was not so fair they were bringing everybody together in this one episode everybody was apart and <gasps> what was brilliant was like wherever anybody was they had to sing and they were singing a verse of under pressure and the way it each worked, verse was exactly tailored to that person and that character art it was just really lovely you know and i think and you get correct me if i'm wrong i think these were the care the characters and uh, real voices i don't think yes they, no i i actually okay yeah. so i'm this much of a nerd i listened to all of the character the all the panels on um you know when like the actors are talking about it okay, I, yeah. I watched all the making of episodes and they're like okay there are certain people who hate when we do a musical they all have to sing they all have to sing in their own voice good some of them are a little better than others but that's the point <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's I, really I cute to listen to. I kept thinking, like, this is not over. It, it may be overdubbed in the sense of they go into a studio versus like sing it live or what. I get that, but I'm saying it's their voice, and yeah. you could tell. And I could tell, like, people like Hale Appleman, you know, are just just this lovely. You know, I can't tell if it's not like he's a Broadway star or anything, but you can tell that he enjoys and that maybe he's done roles in theater. You know, you can tell some of the theater people. I mean, he was just kind of made for a face to do with theater. Like, he's one of the most beautiful. Like, I do not crush very you often. Crush on him. Yeah. Oh my God. That is, I feel like the most ridiculous person. But like, every time he's on, my husband's like, Are you okay? You want me to leave? That's adorable. <laughs> like, yeah. He is beautiful. Like, he is just, ex- it's just like, there's something just so beautiful. Like, about it. Like, of course, his face, he's stunning. But, there's just something beautiful about him. Well, like, he's you know beautiful. what's interesting to me is um, for people who watch like a little bit of it and then they're like, yeah, I, I can't get, I can't get into this. I, if I had stopped where I wanted, you know, like where, cause my mom, introduced, believe it or not, my mom introduced me to this a while ago, even before I ever got into. And the first time that I watched, I watched maybe one or two episodes and I wasn't yet hooked and one of the things is, is that these shallow characters, I was kind of like, initially, because you had 
number one, season one had to develop the characters and you did not have the same kind of things. Apparently the books are also a little bit different in terms of how they're framing Quentin's journey. So like what I've read says, the difference is Quentin is upset about losing access to magic and things can happen like, oh no, if he doesn't help Alice or some, whatever it is, he might get, get caught, these kind of things, losing access versus the books saying he's worried about parts of himself that he is capable of. And Did so- you read the books? I have, I haven't yet. I'm full disclosure. I'm, I'm going, I don't, I, I'm not in a, a concentration place to read. So I will probably have to do, if I do, it'll be audiobooks. So you can tell me if they're available on audiobook. I didn't like the books. Okay. Well, I, I, I you know, uh, cheers to Love Grossman for creating a cool universe, but yeah. the universe I love was made by the showrunners. Well, that's good to know too. But my point was, there's a little bit different things happening in terms of the what like the pressure on somebody to go wow i'm capable of this so for example the beast you know creating a situation in a scenario where he either brings the beast in or can kill like later on you know killing a god like the fact that he has this in him and he he, he is capable of this scares him that that's part of himself and so i'm just saying like it's a little bit different you know to think about like how how the um, arc goes, you know, in the show. And so in season one, you're still sort of, everything's being formulated. So all I would say to people who are watching is like, when I first saw Elliot and Margot, I was like, oh God, it's just so shallow. And I loved beyond comparison that they've changed and that they were forced into situations that made them have to change and think and take responsibility. I mean, like we talked about before, this really hedonistic, completely like, I'm, you know, drugs, sex, and partying is sort of like my way. And there's not that much that's important. And loyalty didn't really seem important to him, it seems like, except to Margot. And so like everything was always about him. And then you take this very self-serving seeming guy and then stick him to rule a kingdom. You know, and I'm not saying he like turned around instantly and was able to have all those tools to do just that. And you know, that was one of the beautiful things to me was watching Margot and him kind of co-rule and all of the things that come up with that relationship. And then also give him a wife, you know, give this guy who loves men. Orphan. <laughs> so I, I'll just say it, you know, to, to just like sum that up is keep going because these characters that at once may seem one way, they change all of the, the rules and then all of the things around it. And all of a sudden, you know, they're really steeped into situations where they have to learn about themselves. Yeah, I, I mean, I love Oscar Wilde and Elliot seems like an updated Oscar Wilde to me. <laughs> There's, I, I love, I actually really enjoyed their shallowness and I started to miss it a little bit because I do love their bitchy banter back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, but there, if you ever want to know how to do character development, I think this is kind of a much watch show if you're a creative person and you need to understand how you develop characters and how you handle a group situation like how do you handle group interaction and dialogue this is probably like I go back to this show 
I go back to this one and I go back to Sherlock all the time when I'm writing scenes. Like I, I just go back and forth between those two shows all the time when I'm like, okay, I need to, I need to hone the dialogue for the scene properly. And I need a group dynamic and I'll watch this and just like bounce it around my head for a while. Like it's, it's really good for that. But they also, okay. So one of the other things with disability is they handle missing limbs quite a bit or missing eyeballs or. Oh yeah. Um, I love how they grave Margo, right? This beautiful mm-hmm. woman. And then they give her, you know, something like an eye patch. And now. Which is awesome. Like uh, she rocked that eye patch, like nothing else. Right. And then what did they do? The penny, they took his hands. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now he's forced to not only not be able to do magic, but like, how does he function? Like, again, I just thought that all of those were done with such respect to, you know, the process and the journey that happens when these transformations that are hoist upon us happen. I appreciate that a lot because it is, there's, there's so much in your life you don't sign up for. Like, most of the stuff I've gone through, I did not sign a waiver for. I did not check a box for. I did not say, yeah, that one. Um, and this is such a show about that. Almost everything everyone's going through, they are not living a life they signed up for. They yeah. they very specifically signed up for something. And that no. did not happen that way. No. And the other thing I was going to say is the role of adults. Like, I know these are adults, quote unquote. But older adults in some ways, or you could call them like, parent teacher figures library figures all of these mentors are so much more are, fucked up. this is really interesting like dean fogg you oh know. my god i love dean fogg so this guy who's an alcoholic is running the school and you see you know the foibles and you see his um weak spots weaknesses I guess as we go but you also see that he's sort of like there and supportive and rooting for the the kids so to speak so I always think that's interesting the interplay of are they going to solve things themselves or are they going to reach out for help like when do they need help for you know different scenarios and I always found that interesting yeah and will the guiding person actually be able to help or will they make it worse Oh, completely. Like, and the trust issues all over the place, like Zelda, the librarian, what an interesting arc for her to be number one, Harriet's mom. Uh, And Harriet is the one we were talking about earlier, who is deaf and has her own story of the library. But this idea of like, I love the geek culture, the fact that it's the library that's actually the villain, so, so to speak. I know there's no heroes and villains, but they take turns, the villain. You know, they take turns being the villains. Well, everyone and, has a point of view of being good. Like even like the big overarching villains think they're doing good. They think that they are doing the right thing with the exception of the beast who's just, you know, amoral. Um, but everything else, like everyone thinks that they are absolutely saving the world. It is fascinating but, that way. Even the guy Everett, I think, yeah, did to become a god. Yeah. I could see some views. Like he's like, I'm not going to be like the other gods. I've researched this for hundreds of years to make sure I'm not going to. And part of me was like, yeah, okay, let's let him try. (laughs) We did that in 2016. Do you remember how that turned out? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean, that's also my point too, is I think that Zelda is, is a character who resonates with people who are like, I have loyalty to this thing. I put my loyalty in, I put my entire, my entire identity into being this thing, but now I have new information. And that new information has 
devoided everything, like everything I've learned, everything I knew was, was tainted. And now I have to, to save my child, to save my, my relationship with my child. Like, I almost felt like it was like dealing with someone who's like in a Baptist or a very like um, anti-gay culture who has a gay child or a queer child. who's like everything I am, everything that's part of my life and everyone who's told me what to do was telling me to do a thing that now if I keep doing it, I'm going to lose my relationship with my kid. And now I've seen that I actually love these other people and I'm working against their health and happiness. And now I have to make a choice. Yeah. And a lot of it is close my eyes or do I make a huge leap of faith out of everything I've ever known? I feel like that was her arc. And And there's a lot of arcs, actually. I feel like there's always choices. Even the one that Penny 23 made for Julia when she was incapacitated, like he's like, are you going to be a goddess or are you going to be a human and mortal and how pissed she was when she got out of this you know because now she's actually not um she she's not a goddess and she can feel and she can you know she's he thought he was making a good choice for her like he made the only like she was incapacitated but can we just talk for one second about like that ending scene where she he like starts to walk out of the room she says no can you just sit here and let me be pissed at you I love that because it was was like like, oh Yeah, there was a lot of realism. Oh, oh, and the other thing I like was Penny's, the fact that, yes, Penny's still on the show or whatever, but they still dealt with this other Penny in the underworld who was such, so much less of a dick, realistically. Like, you could tell there was so much wisdom that happened down here that he had, he was enlightened or he was fulfilled in some way that being on earth did not fulfill him. And that's quite interesting because it's almost like, again, if I have magic, I will be fulfilled. It's like anything else. Like if I travel, you know, they give them the ability to see and to travel and to be anywhere. Don't you think that should make somebody happy? You can be in any world, anytime you ever want, you know? And I don't know. It's like Penny was never happy. Katie was never happy. And yet they were together and they were miserable, right? And then when they're apart, they're miserable. So it is fascinating. It's, it's like, well, what is going to fulfill us? If not, you know, the things that and what we want isn't always going to be like, you've probably been in relationships where they were chaotic and awful, but you couldn't get away and you couldn't say no, because there was something in you that was like drawn to a void. And if it's two voids that are drawn to two voids, that's going to be a lot of chaotic drama. I mean, I've certainly experienced that and I'm, for the record, sorry, we know who you are. Um, but uh, it's um, they, they didn't make each other healthy. Like Penny and Julia make each other healthier. They challenged each other. It's like while you were rooting like for like three seasons for Katie and Penny to get back together because they love each other and they want each other. It's like, mm, but they're not good for each other. No, and when Katie was apart and let Penny go, I actually really liked the season where everybody was somebody else. I actually thought that was so much fun. I mean, (laughs) it really was to see Katie as a cop and really like, I'm like, wow, they they weren't all spot on. Like Janet as a, whatever she was, graphic. Fashion editor. Fashion. It was kind of fun just to see these characters hoist into a new persona and see how they played them. Uh, I really liked that. But Katie in particular, I liked that because showing her as a cop is showing that number one, she's got 
a protective role and and an interesting like investigative role, which she continues once she's done. I loved how they said, okay, well, maybe these aren't their actual characters. Like when we go back to here's Katie, but I loved that you still saw her want to be like hedge witch, you know, senior or whatever you call it, like head hedge witch. Like it's that whole want to be protective. And I felt like, wow, this is something that, and I'm assuming that their memories stayed intact. Like, I don't think they just forgot who they were, right? The cop role. I'm assuming that's part of her. Yeah, they said that it was like a dream, like like it was a dream life and they could look at act like a dream. But one of the things you brought up, I just wanted to revisit real quickly is the adult thing because these are like, it's graduate school. Like when you go to break bills, it's graduate school. So you're 22, 23. You're at this age where you think you're old enough to figure it out, but I certainly did not have anything figured out until, um, I don't know, not even now. Um, but then they have these adults that they kind of turn to. And I think this is such a good allegory for adulting, which is, you know, we keep thinking that the older people have it figured out. And like, even if they're screaming, nope, no clue, really, everyone's trying, like, be nice to yourself because everyone's like flailing. Like, we're all flailing. And like, them slowly figuring out that that's actually what's true is that we're all fallible. You don't suddenly get this amazing wisdom with years, you get wisdom through experience. And even with the experience, like you're right, the ones that are the teachers at break bills, they're still on the side of all of our main characters. They try to help. But like you point out, they, they, they are at wit's end. Usually the, the scenarios that these characters come to them with are ones that they've never seen. You know, so they're like, we don't know what's going to happen. We've never had this happen, you know. So, and I love that because it's like, again, figure it out on your own is part of like what they have to do. They can't look to others to solve their problems. That yeah. is, yeah, very true. And I think- so on that to, note, I yeah. am- I'm failing fast. I am, I just got out of the hospital yesterday. So I, I am failing. Um, but, you are um, like a steely-eyed, amazing woman for doing this today. Like you'd be any, anyways, but because- of your situation I'm like wow I hope that talking about the magicians was healing and helpful this was pain distraction this was absolutely this was not altruism or badassery this was I needed to be distracted for an hour and I really enjoy thinking about this in different ways and in particular what you said about Elia and the monster that will stick you know out to mm -hmm. I love that. Well, oh, the other one, wait, I'll say one more. The other favorite episode of mine was Elliot and Quentin growing old in the oh my alternate God. timeline with the mosaic. I absolutely just loved how it was very up. <laughs> Remember the story up? It was the mm -hmm. very like watching that. Um, it was that same feeling of how lovely it is that somebody can have a lifetime together in another, you know, another timeline and how amazing and real it was when Elliot's just sort of like, yeah, I, I can't go there. I can't tell you. I love you. I can't it, 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 in the real timeline. Like, Oh, oh my God. God. I yeah. mean, peaches and plums motherfucker is probably my favorite line ever. <laughs> that was so cool. That was so cool. And instantly Quentin's like, that's Elliot. Yeah. 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 I mean, like the whole thing of the monsters, like you can't escape your own. I mean, like it's such an allegory. You can't escape your own head until you faced up to the worst thing you've ever done. Until you've actually watched 
and looked at and held and just oh I love that part of it where he had to go back to everything and think about like all the bad things and what was the worst one now I'm trying to remember for him the worst thing he ever did that Elliot ever did Oh, I almost want you to go back and rewatch it. Um, it's that scene. It's when he told Quentin. Oh, to go that off was and, it. Yeah, that was yeah. it. That's yeah. that's why he says peaches and plums, motherfucker. And, yeah. and he's like, that's me. It's like, that's that's what, you know, that was the worst thing he ever did was to say no to someone who was like openly vulnerable openly to him. Openly loved. He was offering him everything. Yeah. He was offering him. And he's like, we have proof of life. How often do you get proof of experience and yeah. that it actually works? And he was like, I can't do that and like that was his biggest regret was was that he had exactly what he could have had what he's always chased a total yep. acceptance of exactly who he is yeah someone who knows everything of who he is and loves him because of it not anyway because yeah. there's a big difference between someone who loves you anyway and loves you exactly as you are because of your faults and everything else I hear that yeah yeah well thank you this was really just uh not only a distraction, but for me, it'll be a really interesting <laughs> way to think about how these seemingly escapist media, like that we're talking about, like we just watch it sometimes because I personally uh, have to either shut out the world or I you know, need to take a break or I don't want to think quote unquote yet this is what is happening it brings up a lot of themes that are actually very deep so there's irony to me about tuning into something that's escapist and fantasy and coming away with wisdom and you know what i'm saying that's that's my takeaway okay so i'm gonna quote this so badly and i apologize that's one of my favorite um, podcasts uh aside from ours uh and eventually i'm going to convince you to have one um LeVar Burton does LeVar Burton reads and it's one of my favorite podcasts of all times and he had a incredible writer on it I'm gonna forget her name and it's gonna break me because she said one of the wisest things I've ever heard which is that science fiction gives us the opportunity and I'm quoting this badly but science fiction gives us the opportunity to reimagine what a world could look like that's never existed before because otherwise we keep rebuilding on might makes right we keep doing different iterations of might makes right capitalism um, and very failed concepts of what humanity can be if it's in power. Um, But science fiction gives us an opportunity to imagine something very different and play it out. I love that. And I don't care if you butchered the quote or not. I butchered it horribly, but just go ahead and listen to all of LeVar Bird reads and you'll get to it eventually and you'll deeply enjoy the ride getting there. (laughs) Okay, well, I will see you soon for the symposium, I'm guessing. Um, Do you want to quickly pitch that before we go? I don't know if this will go up before the symposium. Sure, why not, right? So uh, when when I'm not watching The Magicians, uh, I'm (laughs) feverishly prepping for next week, actually. I think it's eight days away right now. Uh, start, I know. Can you believe it? So no. I when I said it. yes, it was in a fit of optimism. Of I've got plenty of time to pull this together. Of course you do. But so about a year ago, I think I reached out to Monica because we've actually connected uh, earlier. But to make this even longer than it needs to be, <laughs> I'm kidding. And uh, Monica and I connected about this a long time ago, where I interviewed her 
about her experience living with illness and talking about ways to kind of go from surviving to thriving and really helping people just like us uh, figure out how to thrive with chronic illness. So I've lived with dermatomyositis, a rare progressive muscle weakness disease for more than 12 years. And even after 12 years, while I'm homebound and with limited energy, I'm thinking, what can I still do? How can I contribute? What can I, you know, what are all the things that I might be able to um, do while home with limited energy? And so one of those was, hey, let's have a summit for people living with uh, limited energy. My niche is creativity and healing. So I can wax philosophic all day about that. But what I can't do is bring in all these other perspectives. And that's basically what I did is I sought about 60 different experts to share their stories and practices and tips and resources and guidance uh, about how to thrive based on their own experiences. And so they range from medical practitioners and alternative practitioners and uh, online support networks, spiritual and uh, teachers and healers, uh, other artists that battle illness, thought leaders, uh, you know, you, you name it, basically. It's like, and I grabbed all of these different perspectives and we're having a summit, it's free, it's online. It, you uh, can access it by going to howtothrivewithchronicillness.haysummit.com. I'm sure Monica will have the um, information. Top of the show notes, it'll be right at the top of the show notes. And but even if this really, is like it's, after, yeah, they can really, still access it's, it's those. Designed, uh, beside the 60 talks, we're also having speaker panels. So you can actually do Q&A with the speakers and also some live Facebook talks. And that's really cool because I didn't want to just make it a summit where people watch videos on their own time. It's also about a, a way to connect and form community. That's what this is about. And even if you're listening to this afterwards, they can still access the videos. Yes. So that register though, because if you can register before the end of the summit, so it goes from the 10th to the 24th. So if you, you got this up, say before the 24th, then everybody will get the information on how to get the videos after the summit. I'm going to be moving the platform, but everybody will have them up forever. Like I'm not going to, you know, they won't be taken down. Excellent. All right. Well, I love you. Love you too. And uh, we'll see each other soon. And, Carry uh, on, my dear. What? Carry on. Oh God. <laughs> I'm going to be, uh, my carrying on today will be curled in a ball with my Vicodin. <laughs> you know what? If that's what you can do today, that's, that's what, what you I can, can do. do. And we've that's talked about it. that before. You have to curl up today. That's what you do. Yep. I, I will and, be a ball. Until you can't, do, until you don't need to do that again. And then you. I'm hoping that soon. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great week, everyone. Um, be kind, be gentle. It's never been a more important uh, be a badass and whatever that looks like to you. If you are really enjoying this podcast and Eva's podcast, um, and you need more of us, head over to our Facebook group. That's been really active and it's becoming a really beautiful community. So a great place to go and tell us uh, what you think or what you want more of, or just to hang out and chat with us. If you also want some more, we have a blog and you can head over to our website, invisiblenotbroken.com. Kindest thing you can do for us is we have a Patreon account. This is all done out of even my pocket. So if you want to support us, that'd be really great. That's just not in your budget. Um, the next best, most wonderful thing you can do is leave a really embarrassingly nice review on Apple Podcasts hit subscribe and share these episodes with your friends and with your community. That'd be amazing. And we are so grateful for that. We 
are completely advertised through your word of mouth. So thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Be kind, be gentle, and it's never been more important in whatever way you can be a badass.